Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Michael Gordon, and I'm proud to serve as the 95th president of the greatest Rotary Club in the world. Our club serves our local and international community through a variety of projects, but our main focus is on youth literacy. If you're ever in town for either business or pleasure, we invite you to join us at one of our weekly lunches. More information about meeting time and location can be found at lasvegasrotary.com. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's speaker. Hello, everybody. Um, I've had the pleasure of known, uh, knowing our speaker today for probably about a, a, a decade now. And he is, uh, without hyperbole, one of the smartest people I know in the nonprofit and community sector. Um, you can read about his bio in, in the wheel, but he has done a lot of great things in our community. Um, and I knew when I met him that I wanted to uh, ride his coattails a little bit. <laughs> so uh, I got him involved in a couple things that I was working on at the time, the Young Nonprofit Professionals Network. And um, he has really found a niche in this community where he can have more impact across the sector and across our community than working with just a one specific nonprofit organization, which he's going to tell you a little bit about. So without much further ado, welcome um, Andy Church. They get it? Thanks, everybody. So again, my name is Andy Schurick. Um, I'm the founder of a company called Valor CSR. Um, we are the only certified B Corp in Southern Nevada. Does anybody have, Has anybody heard that term before, certified B Corp? Tim, of course. Michael, of course. Three. OK, this is crazy. So what certified B Corps are? I want to check my slides. Darn it. The laser pointer doesn't even work. OK, cool. Um, so what certified B Corps are is um, Companies like Etsy, Kickstarter, Ben & Jerry's, Patagonia, those names sound familiar? So they come, these are companies that have decided that in addition to making money, they also want to have some sort of social purpose. And so they've been certified um, by a nonprofit called B-Lab that says that they are um, certified nonprofit or certified uh, benefit corporations. Um, and it, I'm not going to talk about that other than that. And you can see that logo in the corner. You'll start noticing that everywhere. It's on every Ben & Jerry's can or Ben & Jerry's uh, ice cream thing. Um, so you'll start seeing that logo everywhere. If anybody wants to talk about that, please let me know. Um, but today we're going to talk about social impact, and, and specifically not why to do social impact, but instead how to do social impact. So usually when I do these kinds of talks, um, the, instead of talking about how to do things, I talk about why to do them. So for example, the business case for CSR, the link between corporate social performance and corporate financial performance. The reason for this is um, up until very recently, there hasn't really been a direct connection between, or there hasn't been a really clear direct connection between a company doing good things and their bottom line. It was a little bit unclear. In the last 10 years or so, though, what we've discovered, and there's tons of research on it, and I'm happy to share that with you guys, what we've discovered is that that's actually not the case. We've figured out what the connection is between being a good company and doing good things as a company and your bottom line. And we'll talk a little bit more about how that works in just a minute. Um, but I do want to jump in and say, what is CSR when I say a CSR? How many people have heard the term CSR? Really? How about, okay, so CSR is corporate social responsibility. And what corporate social responsibility typically is, is when companies do things that don't necessarily make money for themselves, but have some sort of additional social impact. Now, it's a, a very broad term. It encompasses an awful lot of things, and I can guarantee you that every single one of your companies already does something like this. Um, for example, if your company has uh, employee benefits, and your employee benefits are somewhat higher than what the federal standard is, 
If you provide maybe six weeks of maternity leave instead of four weeks of maternity leave, or these little tiny incremental changes to make you working in your business a nice, better place, um, that's corporate social responsibility. So anything that you do that doesn't specifically attack your bottom line but may have an additional social purpose, that's corporate social responsibility. Is that clear for everybody? Anybody still not understand what it is? Because I can keep going. Good? Okay. So these numbers are relatively recent. 86% of customers expect companies to do more than make a profit. Does that seem right to everybody? Does it seem low or high? High? Yeah. Some, depending on the group, I did this a very similar talk to um, some millennial women who were starting new businesses, and they were like, what, 86? That's really low. They expected it to be a much higher number. It's interesting, the, the difference in the audiences. But this is a number actually from a 2016 study that says when you ask people, like, what should a company do? Should they just make money or should they do things, social things on top of that? And now 86% of consumers are saying that they expect companies to do more than make a profit. The second one, I think, is a little bit more significant. So in 2011, uh, we did a survey of all of the companies that are on the S&P 500 to see if they had any kind of social impact program in place. Did they do a sustainability plan? Did they have a CSR person on staff? Did they have somebody who was responsible for community relations in, a, in a, an organization that wasn't specifically PR related? And what happened was in 2011, 15% of them had, were pursuing CSR activities. And the number by 2015 had jumped all the way up to 81%. So what that tells me, um, as somebody who thinks about this a lot, is that this is sort of a coming wave that we're going to have to pay attention to. Now, for those of you that do work for publicly traded companies, you'll recognize that there's something interesting about publicly traded companies and that they're all publicly traded, right? So the S&P 500, these are companies that are most interested or are very interested in what's going to happen in the next quarter. They're not interested in something that's going to pay off for them over a longer period of time. They're interested in something that's going to happen very soon. And the problem is, is that when you do these sorts of activities, they only pay off over the long term. They absolutely don't pay off in the short term at all. So they don't make an awful lot of sense if you're trying to juice earnings for the next quarter. They only make sense if you're trying to do something over the longer term. And these, these are kind of small, and I'll try to point out what, what each of the lines are. And they're actually similar colors. I need to probably fix that. So the yellow line, the dot, so this is investment performance in S&P 500 companies. You want to be close to the top means you're better. Short term, medium term, long term. The yellow one is the people that are at the bottom 10%. These are companies that are not doing anything at all. On the short term, they're actually showing really good gains. Over time, though, you can see they drop kind of near the bottom. On the other hand, you have the top 10%, which is the red line. They start about the middle, but then over time, they tend to outperform everybody. So companies that are in the top 10% of the social impact movement are actually outperforming companies that aren't. The most important one is the orange line. The orange line is the middle 20%, and it, out, it underperforms everybody always. And we'll come back to that one in just a second, um, because there's some, some really important things that I think would be interesting to find out. So what that really means is, is that big companies are starting to recognize, and I'll move out of the way. Big companies are starting to recognize that there are very specific benefits to behaving um, in good ways, into, into adding social responsibility activities. Um, and, and if, you're, if you can read this, because they're kind of small, this kind of looks like something that somebody who has a corporate social responsibility consulting company might give you as like a pitch deck, right? <laughs> it looks like something that I'm trying to convince you. But the thing is that every single one of these is from an actual scholarly study. This is from an actual research, uh, peer-reviewed research journal, which actually shows that these are things that are really happening for companies that are performing well in their social impact. Um, crazy things, too. Productivity increases up to 13%. Um, 
annual turn employee turnover decreases by 25 to 50 percent um, and we're just talking briefly about being able to retain millennials it's very difficult they tend to switch jobs about once a year and so coming up with ways to not have to pay that cost over and over again is is a good thing so so these are the benefits that big companies know and the challenge is is that everybody that's not on this is going to get swamped we're going to find out that if you're not actually behaving this way if you're not interested in these kinds of activities you're going to end up getting left behind so with that i'm going to jump in really and go relatively quickly through some of the ways that you can start thinking about adding social impact into a business um, that that you may not have thought of before and we'll talk about some good ways to do it and some bad ways to do it so first, obviously, there are wrong ways. And my favorite wrong way is this one. Um, anybody in this, everybody in this room at some point has had someone ask them uh, for a table sponsorship for a gala event for a nonprofit. Um, I did it, I did it for 20 years. I worked in nonprofits for 20 years. <laughs> and uh, gala events are just one of the ways that they tend to raise money. From a business perspective, it's not a great idea. You're not getting a whole lot of benefit from it. Um, you kind of probably know that in the back of your mind when you're agreeing for the $10,000 table sponsorship that the, the rubber chicken and the, look, I love this, the lady is talking and no one is looking at her. I can tell it's an old picture because there's only one person. This dude right here is on his phone. Right here, and nobody else is, which means it's probably a super old picture. Um, so, so those kinds of things are not a good way to do it, and they're not a good way to do it because it's reactive. It's somebody asking you for something and you agreeing to it, which brings us to the other way that you can do it wrong, and that's just to copy somebody else. Has everybody heard of Tom's Shoes? Yeah? Okay, if you haven't heard of Tom's Shoes, they sell garbage shoes for a lot of money, and they, in a very crowded market, um, they sell an awful lot of shoes. And the reason is they've come up with this one-to-one -one model where every pair of shoes that you buy from Tom's, they provide a pair of shoes to someone that doesn't have shoes. This has allowed them to grow and to be a very big company to sell an awful lot of shoes. They're also doing an awful lot of good, um, but it's a very crowded market. If you think of the number of different brands of shoes, there are hundreds of thousands probably of brands of shoes, and this has pulled them up to the top relatively recently. Um, Warby Parker does the same thing with classes. But if you think you're going to use a one-to-one -one model, you're going to sort of slip that into your business plan, it isn't going to work for you because you didn't design your business around that to begin with. So you can't copy what someone else is doing. Instead, you need to identify what the business benefits are to you first. So the normal way is to start thinking first about what activity you want to engage in. Maybe on Friday we have a jeans day and we take the money for the jeans day and we give it to a charity that the employees select. Or maybe we want to do a volunteer activity. We'll go to Three Square and we'll do some volunteering at Three Square. Um, that's backwards. You actually want to start with what you think the benefits to your business are. There are three main pieces of benef business benefits that you want to keep in mind. The first thing is brand building. My example here is Lego. I don't know if you guys um, remember, but in you probably don't. In, in, in about 1985 or so, Lego was in big trouble. They were running out of cash. Um, people weren't buying Legos anymore. And one of their solutions was that they needed to figure out a way to connect Legos with kids again in a way that they weren't being connected. And so they created this thing called Lego Education. And all Lego Education does is design curriculum and provide free Legos to schools and say, here's the kinds of educational things that you can do with Legos. They put an awful lot of time, an awful lot of money in this, and as part, you know, that's not the only reason that they're doing better now, but as part of it, they actually turned around part of their business and now lots and lots of people, and the Legos in, in great shape right now. Um, so they used that specifically because they wanted to be able to connect their Lego brand with something positive and getting kids to start using them more. 
Um, the other thing is legitimacy. The other piece of brand building is legitimacy. You guys remember in the early 90s, um, Nike got in trouble for um, making shoes with child labor and in sweatshops. You guys remember that? Yeah. Um, this was pre-internet, um, but what happened was that this became a very positive, so uh, not well, a very negative story for them, and so they needed to pivot very quickly and have a response to that. Um, now they're sort of on the leading edge of those kinds of things. They're really good at making sure that they can figure out where their shoes are coming from and the conditions of the labor in the mark in the in the factories where their shoes are being made. Um, they use that as a legitimacy. If they hadn't made that correction, if they had continued to go, we would not be talking about Nike today. They would have been gone, right? The second one is influencing stakeholders. This is how I can tell if people are paying attention. If no one laughs, I know when everyone's asleep. So um, influencing stakeholders is the, another one of the business benefits. And when you think about stakeholders, stakeholders is sort of a jargony term. But what it really means is employees, customers, investors. In a small company, it could be the owner-manager. It could be the spouse of the owner. It can be pretty much anybody that has some sort of connection directly to your business. This is a very, very good way to make business benefits connected to corporate social responsibility. And the third one, um, if anybody took a, anybody took a, got their MBA anytime after 1980, you'll remember Michael Porter, Michael Porter and the Five Forces, right? Everybody have to, anybody else read competitive strategy? Um, yeah, <laughs> it was painful. Um, differentiation is a big piece. Dif so you can make your company, and Tom's has done this very well, they've differentiated themselves in a very crowded shoe market by coming up with something that makes sense to their business. So the trick is, and, and we haven't really talked about any specific activities yet. I'll move over here so I'm in other people's way for a while. Um, the, the trick is, is trying to come up with ways that each of these business benefits then connects back to your corporate social responsibility activities, the things that you want to do. And I like to divide them into three categories. We've got environmental issues, social issues, and philanthropy. Now, the one that people autom automatically sort of default to is philanthropy. It seems like the easiest, and it kind of is. You just want to give cash gifts to charity. That's a good strategy, but it's only one of a very large bucket of things that you can do. Um, and there's some easy things that people are probably already doing. Progressive HR policies is one of them. You know, we, maybe we want to fund the 401k a little bit better than we have. Maybe that's something that we think is going to be useful for our, for our workforce. Um, employee safety, product safety. Do we want to do something more interesting about how, the, how safe the product is? This is one of the ways that Volvo differentiated themselves early on, right? They were known as a company with, with very safe cars. Um, so, so those are kind of the, the sort of broad areas that you can consider corporate social responsibility rather than just philanthropy, which, which may make it a little bit easier to, to make that connection. The second thing you do is once you've decided what business benefits you want, you make sure that there's a direct connection between that social responsibility activity and the business benefit. You want to be able to make sure that you can say that there's a cause and effect relationship between the two. And the third one is you want to invest in, in CSR that your stakeholders are interested in. Um, and an example of that is um, one of the firms I work for, it's an all-female firm. Uh, the owners are female, all of the employees are female. Um, one of the things that they would not want to do necessarily is add paternity leave benefits. That, that wouldn't make any sense for them, even though it would, for some reason it would connect to their business. That obviously wouldn't make their stakeholders very interested in that particular activity, so it wouldn't be a good idea. And I'll close with, a story. Um, is everybody familiar with Patagonia? Anybody not familiar with Patagonia? A couple. Okay, so Patagonia is a company that sells outdoor wear. They sell jackets, ski clothes, climbing equipment, um, things like that. 
they're well known, they're very well known for having a very pro-environmental stance. They pioneered the idea of 1% for the planet, which is 1% of all of their sales, so not profits, but sales, 1% of their sales goes to environmental charities. They like grassroots, smaller environmental charities. Um, they spend an awful lot of time, um, they invented Cinchilla, do you guys remember Cinchilla, where they would take plastic soda bottles and they could actually turn that into a fleece jacket? They invented that product because they wanted to kind of use that recycling stream to turn it into good products. Um, they have a repair shop. If you have an old piece of Patagonia gear and the buttons are falling off or the zipper doesn't work, you can bring it back into the, into the store, even if it's super old, and they will send it off to one of their places, refurbish it, repair it, and send it back to you. So they're really interested in all of these sort of you know, ecosystem things. They want to make sure that the products stay, you know, once you buy them, you want to keep them forever. Um, and they're really good at that. And they're sort of a, a pioneer in this space as well. They, they like working with very small grassroots environmental charities, and they've made a very strong stand on some social issues. Um, after the election last year, um, they were super depressed, as you might imagine. Um, it did not go the way they expected it to go, and they, as a company that's really interested in the state of the environment, thought that, you know, why have we been talking about this for this long when this is what can happen, right? So they were, they were upset, they were angry, and they wanted to have some sort of response. So their first thought, and this was, you know, so the election is very short, close to Black Friday, right? So they thought, let's do something for Black Friday. Now, Patagonia doesn't ever do Black Friday stuff. They don't, there's nothing on sale. They don't open early. There's no doorbusters. Um, you can actually buy Patagonia gear at other places for less money. It's on sale other places. It's just a regular Friday. I mean, there might be more people in the mall, but it's a regular Friday for them. So they thought, let's do something for Black Friday. And their first instinct is, what do you think it was? We'll just close. We'll put black drape on the door. We'll put a manifesto on the front of it that talks about why the environment is important and we'll just you know, take our toys and go home. So that was their first instinct and they were rolling with that. And they had started, they'd started talking to stores about how they were gonna implement that. And at some point, someone, it was actually a junior marketing guy named Justin, said, that doesn't feel like Patagonia to me. Like we're, we're supposed to be, get people inspired about the environment. We want people to go outside and be like really excited about being outside. Um, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, what if we give it all away? What if instead of doing 1% for the planet on Black Friday, we do 100% for the planet on Black Friday? So what did his supervisor say? You're nuts. <laughs> like, you want us to like, take all the sales we have on a single day and give it all to charity? Like, no one, no one's gonna go for that. That's totally not gonna go for that. And so they kept going down the path of the black crepe and the manifesto. The week before Black Friday, a couple of them were sitting around a conference room kind of planning it out and they're like, you know what, it doesn't feel like Patagonia. It's totally off-brand. If we close and we are just dark and we're depressed about it, that doesn't tell people to be stoked about the environment. That tells people that we're mad. And that's not what we want people to see when we see Patagonia. That's not the brand that we've built. So let's do the 100% for the planet thing instead. And typical Friday, Black Friday for them, because it's not weird, it's, it's about, they do about two to two and a half million dollars in sales in just that day, both online and in stores. They did some, calculated some numbers that like, we'll do a little bit of social media advertising, we'll put an ad in the New York Times, we'll see if we can get a little bit of traction on it. And we'll see, you know, worst case scenario, 3.5 million. Like worst case scenario, 3.5 million. They got the higher ups to agree to it. Yvonne Chouinard said, yeah, it sounds good to me, let's do it. By 10 o'clock in the morning Pacific time, they had already hit three and a half million dollars, right? <laughs> they trended on Twitter, they trended on Facebook, they, Emma Watson, 
tweeted about it. Al Gore tweeted about it. Um, it became sort of a big deal, and it sort of snowballed for them. By the end of the day, by the time midnight came around and their online store was done for the day, they had done $10 million in sales. $10 million in sales. There were a couple of frantic phone calls back and forth to the owners who were like, whatever, it's fine, right? $10 million in sales. That's crazy, right? Okay, here's the kicker. 71% of the people who purchased products from Patagonia on that day were first-time Patagonia customers. 71% were totally new to the Patagonia ecosystem, are now on the mailing list, are now receiving the newsletter, are now part of their stream of all of the environmental stuff that they're working on. Um, that is worth, as you know, $10 million in advertising to get 71% of new customers on a single day, of totally brand new customers. That's a pretty good investment for them. So what that tells us is it kind of comes back to these three ideas, right? So they identified the business benefits. First, they were wrong. First, they went the wrong way. <laughs> They'd gone completely off brand. But they identified that their business benefit that they wanted to work on was the brand. We want people to talk about the environment, and we want Patagonia to be part of that conversation. They connected their activity to the business benefit. They knew that 100% for the planet was going to you know, very clearly and strongly make people understand that they were committed to the environment. And then their stakeholders clearly, we can tell by the results, their stakeholders were clearly interested in uh, the result of their $10 million in sales and 71% of people having brand new, um, being brand new Patagonia customers. So it's an example of sort of using that framework to make it work properly. Um, and with that, I'll leave it open if anybody has any comments or questions or thoughts. Yes, sir. Awesome. I, I'm just curious, um, with the first thing that you had a red X, last Saturday night, Nevada Broadcasters Association Gala, lots of tables, lots of ads, they raised $50,000, 113 full tuition scholarships to UNR and to UNLV. Why is that an X? So they, they raised 50, and I don't know this event at all, so. They raised $50,000. The, the minimum typically when you do an event in costs is 35%. So 35% off the top, that money didn't go anywhere. That money went to paying for the event. Plus the staff time involved in not doing that, the staff time involved in, in not going out and finding individual relationships and working on ways that nonprofits can actually raise more money faster than events. Um, that's a, it's kind of a little different topic. When we talk about it from the business's perspective, a lot of times businesses are being asked to, to fund these with sponsorships. They're being asked to give $10,000 for a table sponsorship. That $10,000, if you want to support the organization and it's a great organization, write the organization a check for $10,000. You've just added 35% to your, right? 35% more because there are no costs involved in having them create the event. And then you can work with the organization about what kind of response you want from that. Do you want social media from that? Do you want to engage more fully with their leadership to see how you guys can work together better? There, there are smarter ways to do it than galas. Galas are sloppy and lazy. But I see your point. I see your point. The, the money shouldn't not go to the organization, and in no way would I say not to support the organization. I'm just suggesting that gala events are an inefficient way to do it. Uh, Andrew, I have two questions. Uh, one, uh, when you talked about four years ago in 2011, I guess, you had, what, 15% uh, involvement, and it went up to 86%. Uh, so if a company didn't give anything to charity and then uh, decided to give 
10,000, they made millions of dollars and they decided to give $10,000 to United Way. Would they jump from the 15% into the 86%? Or do you have some kind of analysis that tells you that that 86% is really involvement? The 86% is people that have shown some sort of commitment. So they've either hired a CSR department or they've printed a printed sustainability report that they're actively signaling externally that they're interested in that activity. So, so I mean, whether or not the, the, other, the other percent, the other 14% may be doing it, they're just not signaling that they're doing it. Okay, my other point is that the Patagonia example was very impressive. Uh, do you have a cause and effect analysis which shows companies that put X dollars of their percentage of profits into worthy causes uh, have uh, prospered the way Patagonia does? Do you have that analysis? Yeah, there's actually research that shows that, that um, and I can't remember the exact number, but, but corporate philanthropy specifically, like money spent on corporate philanthropy increases sales. The mechanism through, is through customer satisfaction. So customers are more satisfied that comp with companies that are active in corporate philanthropy. And so because of that satisfaction, they end up making more purchases. So we know each other professionally, yes. but maybe you can tell people a little bit about the process to become certified B Corps. Sure. Sure, so a certified B Corp is, so in Nevada there's a statute that allows any company to become a benefit corporation. And what the point of that is, is that if you have a company and you want to be socially responsible, but then you sell the company or you lose control of the company, that your new shareholders can just decide to throw that away. And so benefit corporation language allows you to sort of codify, like in, up on the front end, that part of our money, we're not going to, it's not all going to go to profit. Some of it is going to be spent on some other social activities. Um, so. That's that, but there's no um, mechanism in place to prove that that's happening. Like just because you're a benefit corporation, there are actually over 500 benefit corporations in Nevada, there are only two certified benefit corporations. And the benefit corporations are gas stations, motels, it's basically a checkbox on the articles of incorporation. You can set, check the box and says, I want to be a benefit corporation, but you don't actually have to do anything. Um, so what certified benefit corporations are is you have to go through this thing called the B impact assessment. You have to score a certain uh, you have to get, reach a certain score on the assessment to make sure that you have reached that minimum score. Lots and lots of people take the assessment. The average score is about 55. Um, in order to be a certified B Corp, you have to hit 80 is the score to hit, I think, 200 points. There's been, in, in the conversation, a lot of attention on, you know, giving money to the community uh, by these companies, but there are many other ways to be socially responsible. Um, can you kind of touch on some of those? Yeah, so social responsibility isn't, I mean, the default is corporate philanthropy. It's the one that people think of first, and it's the reason, it's, the, it's sort of the, the one you start with. I call it the gateway drug to CSR. Um, but there are lots of things that where you can have a social impact. One of the things we talked about is product safety. Um, if you're designing a product and you know that it's 99.9% you know, .9 safe at this level and it's going to cost you $100,000 to get it to 99.999, that would be social, an expense would be on social responsibility because you're going to save, you know, the product is going to be safer unless people will be injured by the product. You don't expect to see necessarily a return on that or else you would have done it in the first place, right? So hi higher 
higher levels of, of responsibility in lots of different areas. HR, do you have really awesome HR policies? Do you guys fund your 401ks in a really good way so that your employees are happier? Um, anything that doesn't necessarily directly affect the bottom line is considered CSR. It's really a, it's a really a wide open thing. It's not just philanthropy. Thanks everybody. Thank you, Andy. So it's a tradition in our club, our CSR, is to donate a pair of shoes and socks to a needy child in your name. Awesome, thank you. So pause and smile. Thank you. Thank you. And as I like to say every week, Rotary is like tennis. The one who serves best usually wins. Now go forth and make a difference. Thank you for joining us for another wonderful meeting of the Rotary Club of Las Vegas. If you're interested in membership or want to know more about our upcoming projects and speakers, please visit lasvegasrotary.com for more information. Now go forth and make a difference.